So I've entitled today's message, You Are Free. How many of you guys know that salvation is actually so much more than just being forgiven? Now, being forgiven is a good thing. I'm thankful that Jesus went to the cross and He shed His blood for us and the blood of the Lamb is what actually cleanses us of all of our sin. But we're so much more than just forgiven because in Christ we are completely free. And I think that we don't, have a, we don't always have a great revelation or understanding of what that actually means. Because when you're born again, you're not just forgiven, but you're also free from sickness. You're free from fear, from disease. But most importantly, and what I actually want to talk about the most today, is that you're actually free from sin. You're not just forgiven of sin, but you're free from sin. And the truth is, is that there's been many a sermons that have been preached on grace. Talking about how God has, has given us and uh, forgiven us, and grace and mercy, we've been forgiven, and, and uh, we know what to do if we have sin. We know that God still loves us, and if we do sin, that we have an advocate that that, that there, is, there is an understanding of grace and forgiveness. And I, I believe that having that understanding of grace and forgiveness and mercy, it's, it's required to move forward as a Christian. You have to understand that by grace you have been saved. By His great mercy we're forgiven of sin. And if we fall down, if we make a mistake, then we're still forgiven. You don't lose your salvation the moment that you stumble. And thank God for that. Amen? But I do think that something we we need to not forget and something we probably need to have more preaching on is freedom from sin. And I don't mean that we need to preach on sin. That, that's actually, I think, a, a negative thing as well. There's been many a sermons preached on all the sin that's going on, all the things you're not supposed to do, but what ends up happening is that you have a focus on the sin instead of the freedom. Pastor Jack Harris, who's ministered here a few times, when he, he said when he first started his church, he planted a church in Nogales and he spent like a month preaching on, on uh, uh, adultery. And he, he really dealt with adultery and what it caused all the pain it caused. And he says that after he preached on that, they had more adultery in the church than they had ever seen before. Because while he was, try, he was preaching a good thing, unfortunately it put attention on that sin and it began to manifest in the church. See, I think we need to be not so much preaching on sin, but preaching on freedom from sin because if we were all convinced we are free from sin, I think there would be a whole lot less falling in the church, a whole lot less stumbling. If we really understood that we were free from that, that bondage that sin used to have on us, that control. And I truly believe that falling is not inevitable. I truly believe that as a Christian, we're not required to sin. It's not a, a guarantee that you're going to sin. I believe that as Christians, we can live a sinless life. My favorite verse is Jude 1.24 and it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless on that day. Now to him who is able to keep you, that tells me that we're able to live without stumbling. Now don't get me wrong, I also recognize that we do stumble. But I don't believe we have to. I think that if we got a greater revelation of the freedom of sin that we actually have, that we would stumble a whole lot less. If we would remember that we are free from sin, not just forgiveness. So that the, the entire focus on this message is to focus on this fact that you are free. You've been given the key 
to the chains that are holding you down to the cell that you've been in your entire life. We can live without sin because that's actually the, what Jesus paid for. And this is foundational to living the life that Christ has called us to live. If you want to live the life that Christ has called you to live, you have to understand that you are free from sin. Because this is the foundation of living holy. And how many know that you've been called to live holy? The Scripture says that, that you are holy because I am holy. That's how we're called to live. In Romans 7, 14-20, it says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what, is I, what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. What is in my flesh? For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Has anybody ever felt like they couldn't? Stop sinning. Felt like they, they wanted to, but something had a grip in them and they just couldn't, couldn't. You want to do the right thing, but sometimes it just seems like there's something coming against you and causing you to fall. Much like Paul here is talking about. But the interesting thing about these scriptures is that Paul's actually not talking about Christians, he's talking about those who have not been saved. He was talking about particularly about the, the, the Jewish people of the time who they knew who God was, they knew who God's law was. And he's saying that, that as, as a Jewish man, I knew the right thing to do. I wanted to do the right thing to do, but there were so many times that I couldn't. It's like sin had something inside of me. It says, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within you. Because before you're born again, sin still has a foothold in your life. Now, the interesting thing is here is I just asked, has anybody ever felt like that? And we, we all said, yes. Even as Christians, sometimes we still feel like this. And I wonder why that is, because we're no longer slaves to sin anymore. The thing is, is we struggle with this, but we don't have to because we're dead to sin is what the Scripture says. We're going to look at it shortly. And, and sin actually doesn't dwell inside of us. We're righteous. Because of what he's accomplished. So if that's the, the case, how could sin dwell inside of us? But the thing is, sometimes we still feel this way. And I believe the reason why we still feel this way is because we don't have a real revelation of what's actually been accomplished inside of us. We might have been never been told. No one's ever said that. You're, you're free from sin. You, the, the, what I read this morning, that, that how the him, he was able to keep from stumbling, and I said that you can live without sin. That may be the first time you've ever heard that. Because all too often we teach that, oh, you know, you're, you're human. You're going to fall. That's the worst advice ever. It's not inevitable that we fall just because we're human. We did have a fallen nature, but we no longer do. If you're born again, if Christ is inside of you, you no longer have a fallen nature. Or maybe you've just never been told at all. Or you just got saved and you haven't been discipled long enough to learn all of these things. Or you haven't spent enough time in the Word to read what God has to say about it. So we don't have a revelation of it. 
Or maybe you, you, you know about these things, you've been told about these things, but all you simply have is, a, is an intellectual understanding. And an intellectual understanding is completely different than a revelation in your heart. Well, probably the biggest culprit. We forget. We forget that we've been made free. We forget that we've been forgiven. We forget that we're no longer slaves to sin. And we slip back into old habits, into old routines. We slip back into the old way of doing things. We find that we're not spending as much time in the Word or we're not spending as much time in prayer. And then one day we look up and we, we look a whole lot like we used to and not like we look like in Christ. One of the things that Paul dealt with in Romans chapter 6, 1-4, through four, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? This was the other argument. that One, that... Uh, uh, well, if grace is so good and every time we sin, grace increases, then maybe we should just sin all the time. So that way grace looks really good. He says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life? We're not supposed to walk in that old way. We're not supposed to forget who we were. You see, what Paul's dealing with is, is this idea of, of, of a kind of messed up thinking. They're like, well, man, if, if the more we sin, the more grace is exercised, maybe we should sin more so that, that somehow if we sin more, maybe God's work will be more meaningful. Kind of like, crashing a car so you can pull people from the wreckage and be a hero. Basically, they were using grace as a license to sin, and we see that all the time today too. Go ahead and do whatever you want. God will forgive you. Did you know that God cleanses you not so that you can continue to live a dirty life and continue to be clean, but so that you can live a clean life? Anybody ever here? cleaned up your kids just to go tell them to play in the mud? When I lived in Whetstone, which is right side out of Wachuca City, which you probably don't know where it's at, which is outside of Sierra Vista, which you may or may not know where it's at, which is about an hour and a half south of here. I lived out at dirt roads everywhere. You know, we, we all lived in, most of us lived in, in double-wide trailers on, you know, a half acre, an acre of land and dirt roads. And when the monsoons came, when you live on dirt roads, you get and there were times because when you're a kid, you're mostly brain dead. You we would go out and we would the 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 ditches on the side of the road would fill up with you know two or three feet of water, and we go play in the water and play in the mud. We come back, we would just be filthy, and uh, my, my mom would get so mad and get out the hose and hose us off, but she didn't hose us off so we could go get back in the mud, so we could come in the house. God didn't hose you down so you could go back out in the mud. So you could come in the house and live clean. You see, that's the thing is that he says here that how can we who have died to sin still live in it? When you're dead to sin, it has no relation to you. It has no influence in your life. I always think of the old gangster movies when they say, 
when, when they tell somebody, you're dead to me. And what that means is you have no part of me. You have nothing here. We don't even, we're not even going to converse. It's like you don't even exist. That's what I imagine. We're dead to sin. It has no influence. It has no, we don't have the opportunity to converse. It has no opportunity to, to come into our lives. It's completely separated from us through death. We've been given a new life as well, which is the other side of it. He says, do you not know that you've been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. It's actually why we baptize people in full immersion in this church because it's a representation of dying with Christ and being raised again, right? It's a good old-fashioned funeral. When you get baptized, you get put under the water. You're buried with Christ. It's a representation of that. And when you pull you out of the water, it's a representation of being raised to newness of life. You're brand new. Your old self was dead. You were baptized into His death by faith. Your old self, the person that was involved in the sin, that had no control, that wanted to maybe do right but couldn't, was doing all kinds of dumb stuff, that person has died and you raise again a newness of life. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And if you've been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life, there should be evidence of that in your life. This is what James was referring to, I believe, when he said that faith without works is dead. It's a cart before the horse type thing. When we, if we don't justify ourselves before God by the things that we do, because we can't. Otherwise, we would boast about how good we are and how we made ourselves right with God. So we can't do that, but, but James said, you show me your, your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. And what he meant was is that when you get saved, there should be evidence that something inside of you has changed. That a miracle took place. Place. There should be something to see. He's not saying that my works, these good things that I'm doing, are what saved me. What he's saying, but because I was saved, it changed how I lived my life. It changed how that, that, that miracle that took place inside of me influences the way that I live my life and how I walk and how I treat people and how I act. And I no longer sin because I'm brand new. I, I don't not sin to be right with God, but because I'm right with God, I no longer sin. you get saved, there should be evidence. One of my favorite sayings that people say is, is, if it was made illegal to be a Christian tomorrow, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Or would nobody even know? See, the thing is, is that you do what you are. Before you were saved, you were a sinner, so you sinned. See, so many people think that you're a sinner because you sin. No, you're a, you, you're a sinner. It's your identity, and you sin because you're a sinner. But as Christians, we're no longer sinners. We're saved by grace, by faith, and we're righteous. So therefore, we should live like a saint because we are a saint. That's what the Scripture says. You're, you're either a sinner or you're a saint. You're two options. You're, you're either not born again and you're a sinner, so you sin, or you are born again and you're a saint, so you should live holy. There should be evidence of that in your life. We've been made righteous, so our actions should reflect that. And he goes on in 6 through 11, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also. Live with him. We just talked about this briefly. Our old self who was bound to sin is dead and gone. 
And if we're in Christ, then we have a new self because our, the old person was crucified with Christ and we have a new life that was raised with Him. And the good news is that when our old man dies with Christ, we get a new man that rose up with Him. And that's why we have to consider ourselves dead to sin. Because it can't have any rights in our lives. Did you know that if something has a right in your life, if you have a mortgage or any kind of debt, if you're alive, those people have a right. You have to pay that bill. Or they can sue you. They can come after you. But if you die, they can't come after you. They can't sue you. They can't do any of those things. Did you know that if you die, it doesn't pass on to your children. Your kids don't have to pay your debt. If you have student loans and you die, your kids don't have to pay your student loans because that dies with you. Now I get with the mortgage. They're going to come after the estate because there's property there. But the truth is, if your kids just walk away, then the bank takes the house and they have no right to come after the kids for the debt. Because death separates all of them. It has no rights. And if we go on in Romans 6, 16-18, it says, Do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. This is an interesting thing to me because the truth is you're going to be a slave to something. Whatever you, you set your mind to be obedient to is what you're a slave to. And the truth is, is that I believe that we should put as much effort into being a slave of righteousness as we did before we were saved as being a slave to sin. That's the thing, is if you really think about your life before Christ, wow, we invested some time in sinning and being a slave. And I look at my life and I was good at it. I was a good sinner and now I want to be as good at serving him as I ever was of being a sinner. We should put as much into that as we ever did as being a slave to sin. It should make it our goal to be as good a Christian as we were a sinner. Because the thing is, is when you're a slave to sin, it just leads to, to, to more sinning and more lawlessness because it has a hook on you. And it has a hold on you and you submit to it and it has a greater and tighter leash on you and it causes you to do things that you certainly won't admit to your mom. the thing is, is we were always looking for something to fulfill us, to fill that hole that we had in our heart. The truth is that everyone has that hole because we're born broken. We're born with that hole and everybody has it. And everybody's looking to fill it even if they don't realize it. That's why people get involved in drugs and cars and money and shoes and sports and all of those things that take precedence in our lives. And the more we search, the more illegitimate means do we find to fill a legitimate need? And it just leads to more and more. And more. But if we present ourselves as slaves to righteousness, we receive Christ, we fill that hole, we submit ourselves as slaves to righteousness, it'll produce more righteous. And this is a, a concept that just was bizarre to me, this idea of being a slave to righteousness. Because it didn't seem to make a lot of sense. I was like, what does that mean to be a slave to righteousness? So I, really, if you just break it down and think about the simpleness, 
if you're a slave to something, that which you're a slave to dictates, controls all of your actions. So you think about this, and when, when uh, uh, the African Americans were slaves in this country, they had to, to get permission from their masters to do anything. They wanted to use the restroom, they needed to ask. They wanted to do anything, they had to ask. They, they were completely submitted, albeit against their will, to their master. They were a slave, and they had no choice in what to do but to obey their master. And that's what being a slave to sin is. You have no choice but to obey what you've submitted yourself to, what you're a slave to, and you continue to sin. So being a slave to righteousness is it's the same thing. If you submit yourself to righteousness, righteousness will now dictate everything you do. And it controls, and that which you do will be from righteousness because it's what's going to dictate what you do. What seemed like such a, an odd concept is really super simple. If you're a slave to sin, sin tells you what to do. If you're a slave to righteousness, righteousness tells you what to do. The problem is that so many people that are slaves to sin actually think they're free. I remember when I used to work in a restaurant, I would tell people, when I first kind of started following God and getting back into it, I would tell people that I was going to church and they should come. Like, oh no, I don't want to be a Christian because then I, then I won't be free to do whatever I want. Which is such an interesting concept because they think that they're free. So I would tell them, well, if you think that you're free, stop. Stop smoking. Stop drinking. Stop going out to bars. Stop hanging out with the girls or guys or whatever they were into. Stop. None of them were willing or could even do it. Because they... That's the thing about sin is it makes you think you're free to cheat into thinking you're free. But the truth is, is they weren't free. They, they couldn't stop. They weren't really free at all. But when you're a slave to righteousness, you actually have real freedom because you're free from all the sin that had hold of you. Because the thing is, is that when you're born in, you've been made brand Thinking new. In Galatians six fourteen through fifteen it says, But far be it for me, this is Paul speaking, far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. The entire world has been crucified to us and us to it because of Jesus, and we are brand new creations because of it. And I believe that a revelation of this newness of life is why we're seeing so many scriptures talking about freedom and newness of life. A revelation of this will actually let you live free from sin. It's crucial to living without sin. Because it would be so easy to be disheartened and broken to think that even after we were born again, even after Jesus did so much for us and we were still stuck and having to live in this sin that we're supposed to be cleansed from. But thanks be to God, not the case. For us. Because the law, while it was able to tell us how to live, was never able to enable us to live that way. It told us what right and wrong was, but it never enabled us to actually live that way because we're still a slave to sin. That's actually why the scripture says that sin took the law, which was good, and used it for evil, because basically the sin took the law and went, neener, 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 you can't do anything about it, but now you realize how bad you really are. And we couldn't. We were just like Paul said when we were looking at Romans six. He six. He said, "I I want to do the right thing, but I can't." Paul had the law. He knew what was good. He said, "I want to do the right, but I can't." 
He said, something like along the lines of miserable person that I am, who will, wretched person that I am, who will save me from this? But thanks be to Jesus. Christ came to save us from that very thing. Failure and deep shame were always there waiting when we failed, when we knew the right thing to do. Just out of sight, reminding us of our failures and our falling. But when Jesus, or when God sent His Son, He didn't just wipe away our debt of sin. He didn't just push it off to the side. and Because what, what good would it be to have your, your debt wiped away just to continue racking it up? It wouldn't make any sense. But instead, He remade us. A new creation. The same way that Adam was made. With no sin, no history, no failures, and no past. The key to victorious living is recognizing that when you're born again, that all that history, all that is wiped away. You're made just like Adam. Adam was the only grown man that was born without a past, without a history, without failure, without baggage. All the stuff that we all carry. But when we're born again, we are made just like Him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. new has come. The new person is a sinner. Church, you have to understand that you're not a sinner anymore. So many times we think that we're just sinners saved by grace. You were a sinner. You're not a sinner anymore. You are saved by grace, but you're not. Don't call yourself a sinner. Your words have power. If you think of yourself as a sinner, you're going to continue on sinning. And the truth is, is that even as a Christian, even as, if you sin, and I know that sometimes that we do, but if you're a Christian and you sin, it doesn't make you a sinner. Because you're not a sinner because of what you do. You're a, if you're a sinner, it's because of what you are. But if you're born again, you're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. Because you've been made brand new. You're no longer broken. You're no longer bound. And as such, you can finally live the life that you've been called to live. This is why in Colossians 3, 9-10, Paul said, don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. That's the old man, the dead and gone. You put it off. When you were born again, that person is no more. And this year, do not lie to one another. You can insert any sin or stupidness that you want. Don't gossip about one another. Don't lie to one another. Don't hurt one another. Don't go behind one another's back. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't kill. Any sin that you want to do, don't do drugs. Don't drink. Get drunk. Because seeing that you have put off the old self with its practice, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, I think that's why, why we fail is because sometimes we forget that we've changed clothes. And we go back to the dirty laundry basket and put on all the old junk that we had and we begin to live like that for a while. Because that's what this image here is actually talking about. It's the image of taking off dirty, soiled clothes, a different identity, and putting on brand new, clean, perfect robes in Christ. It's a new self, a new person. The old is just discarded in the wastebasket. You ever heard the expression that clothes make the man? Kind of what he's talking about here. Put on the new self. If we want to live in victory, we have to live in this new self, which says that it's being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
that's the thing is the knowledge of who he is helps us to live in that in that way if you don't spend time in the word if you don't learn this stuff if you don't read you'll never learn who you are in christ if you don't ever read it you'll never have a revelation of what's been accomplished inside of you if you don't spend time in his word because our goal is to live in the new self ultimately to begin looking like him in the image of our creator in Romans 12 2 it says don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing or the renewal of your mind because if we don't live like that we have to understand a few things 1 Corinthians 6 9 through 11 says or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived neither sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor the greeter nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God and such were some of you, but you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Spirit of our God. This has always been a scary verse. Because I'm like, I've done some of those things. Even after I got saved, I've done some of those things. And I was very concerned. I was very, does this mean that I'm out, that I've, that I've messed up? But the thing here is what Paul's dealing with, actually, is it says that he's dealing with the, the Corinthian church. You remember a couple years ago, we went through the entire first book of first Corinthians it took us almost a year to get through the whole thing but you remember that that the Corinthian church was a mess and the city of Corinth was a mess it looked a lot like this the country that we live in now the place was just a mess and it's obvious that Paul's dealing with these people they're doing these things is do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God don't be deceived that all these things the people that do these things they're not going to receive the kingdom of God but but the thing that most people miss is that he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What he's saying is, is that, hey, look, guys, you know this. You're not dumb. You know that these kind of people don't inherit the kingdom of God. So quit acting like those kind of people. Quit doing the things that those kind of people do. He says, that was some of you, but you're not anymore. You've been washed. And you've been sanctified. So basically what he's saying is just quit acting like who you're not and start acting like who you are. You've been washed. You've been clean. I think that's some of the best advice that we can give ourselves when we get up in the morning and look in the mirror and, and remind ourselves we're putting on the new self. And you know what? Don't act like who you were. Act like who you are. And when we do something stupid, remind ourselves that that's not who I am anymore. I'm somebody else. And if you fall, if you stumble, get back up and remind yourself, that's not who I am anymore. I am somebody else. Don't try to live a life that's no longer yours. That's what he's saying. This was some of you got. And we know that these people don't get into heaven. That's not you. You've been born again. Don't be like these people. Similar thing in Galatians 5, 19-25. And now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What is he saying? Those, 
the flesh and the fact that they're dead and they're gone. They've been pushed off to the side. He says that, that they've been that, that, that have crucified the flesh with its passions desired. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So what does he say here? First, he says that, hey, the works of the flesh are all of this stuff. But your flesh was crucified with Christ. And all of its passions, all of us is all along with it. All these things are dead and gone, separated from you. So stop. That's the same thing he was saying here. And in Corinthians, he says, this is who you were. Stop acting like who you were. And I love how he goes on here. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I was in the army for some years, and, and this has always made a lot of sense to me because when you keep in step in the army, when you march, we march in step. And if you've ever seen some really high-level um, uh, uh, army, or, or I think the Marines do it too, where they'll put on these, these marching parades where they do really intricate marching and moving together. And they have to stay perfectly in step because if they don't, they'll run, in, run into each other and, and bounce each other. But, but the, when I was in the Army, we would go ahead and we'd line up in formation and we would start marching. You know, the, that's when you get the uh, lift, two, three, four, so we can march together, right? We're doing the same feet, all the, all the same thing. And, and uh, man, we'd have all these cadences and stuff that they would call out that I'm surprised that that's allowed to stay anymore but uh <laughs> so there's one we used to sing of a uh, uh uh she had a set of hips just like two battleships one of the things <laughs> that uh, we, we would march to and uh one time i said that around michelle's mom and she got very offended she thought i was talking <laughs> about her <laughs> but uh but we would we would march in time to these things and the idea was that if you marched in step together, you would go at the same speed, the same pace, and you would get to where you were going. But what would happen is so often, we would get this accordion effect, right? So the, the drill sergeant would say, start marching, and in the beginning, we would take off, right? But what would happen is back at the back of the list, we knew that the whole line would move at once, so you just marched in place until the accordion finally stretched out and you could start marching with them because you weren't really in step at that point because you were kind of marching in place the front is going and what would happen is you get this accordion effect so we weren't moving in step as one unit we were kind of just all over the place now the thing is is if when the drill sergeant said march if everybody took one step at the exact same we would move together perfectly it's actually why we have so much problems with traffic when when the the planners look at the traffic some of the things they, they, they imagine would be perfect is when the light turns green, all the cars would start going at the same time, right? They would move in step together. But we all know that doesn't happen. The light turns green, the first car goes, and then the second car goes. But if they would all go at the same speed, the same pace, we could actually move so many people, more people through a light if they were in step together. But they're not. But this idea of being in step is actually what he's talking about. If we live by the Spirit, let us in step with the Spirit. So what that means is that when the Spirit moves, we move with it. We move in step with it. We don't let the Spirit move and we wait a little while marching in place and then finally catch up. That's the whole idea is, is living in, in step with the Spirit because it gives us life. It's the one that, that put the, the, the new person inside of us, this new Spirit inside of us.
thing is, is that we're supposed to look like God. Look like the Holy Spirit to march with it. When we live by the Spirit, our actions are dictated by the Spirit. His actions are our actions. His love is our love. In the same way, He's not conceited. He has self-control. He's gentle. He has patience, kindness, goodness. That's why if we're walking in step with the Spirit, you're going to have the same fruit of the Spirit. But the thing is, it's a choice that we have to make. We can forget who we were and live like who we are now, or we can forget who we are now and live like would encourage you put on the new self don't forget who you are now forget who you were then it's so important not to fall back into our old ways don't try to live a life that's no longer yours instead try to to live the life that you have now because you've been made clean perfect and pure in ephesians 5 6 through 9 it says let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Sons of disobedience are those who aren't saved. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are. You notice that the, 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 the concept that Paul keeps trying to, to get across? Don't become partners with them because that's who you were. One time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And if you're light in the Lord, walk as children of the light. But the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. It's this concept, this idea is that you were darkness, but now you're light. So walk as children of light. The, what's implied is don't walk as children of the darkness. Don't walk as a son of disobedience. Because the thing is, is the world is always trying to persuade people to do all manner of things. I mean, you don't have to spend much time watching commercials to see what the world is trying to convince you to do. And most of it ain't good. And they're going to tell you it's fun. They're going to tell you that it's going to be okay. And even well-meaning Christians will say stuff like, well, God's going to forgive me anyway. It's okay if I do this because God, God loves me. He's going to forgive me. I was reading a book when I was in high school about uh, an African tribe that were devil worshipers. They were, they were, they were a satanic group. And when they were asked why, this is what they said, and it's such a misunderstanding, but they said, because God is always good. He's always going to do good to you. He, God is good. But it's the devil that you have to watch out for. So they thought they would appease the devil because God is always going to be good. It was such a misunderstanding. And unfortunately, people have this idea that, that God is always good, so I can do what I want. If if, grace, if sin abounds, then grace abounds all the more. If I just keep on sinning, look how good I'll make God look. And He forgives so much. They tell you it's fun. They tell you that there's nothing wrong with it. And they don't realize how much pain it's actually going to cause, how much it's going to hurt. Don't worry, God will forgive you. But the thing is, is that we have to make sure that we're not deceived. Moses was tempted with a life different than the one God had for him, right? But Moses says that, that he left Pharaoh. He left that house. And in Hebrews 11, 24 through 25, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Because that's the thing about it. 
And if you think back in your life when you were looking at sin to fulfill those needs, you ever notice that you had to keep going back for more? You had to keep fighting because you're like, oh, if I just have this, everything's going to be fine. And you would get that and it would, it would be okay for a couple days and you're like, I'm empty again. Well, if I, if I just get this, then that's going to make everything better. And you would go and, and pursue that and you would get it. And, and this is awesome. And, but then you realize that it, was, it didn't fill anything. It didn't solve anything. So people are going to try to deceive you with, with empty words. The enemy is going to try to deceive you as well. John 8.44 says, You are of your father the devil, and, you will, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The enemy is going to try to deceive you as well. Try to tell you that things are okay, or even worse, if you're a Christian and you fail, the enemy is going to tell you that, oh, because of this, God can't love you. You can't be forgiven. You just took it too far. And he's always going to point out your failures, trying to make you feel inadequate. And that's how we have to know that, no, I'm free from all of that. I'm forgiven from all of that. I've been made brand new. Sometimes we even try to do it ourselves. Have you ever tried to talk yourself into doing something that was wrong? Maybe I'm the only one. There have been so many times. When I, uh, so I used to smoke a long time ago. I smoked a couple packs a day. And we finally quit smoking. And we had kind of started going back to church. And, and uh, uh, But somehow I got wrapped up into chewing tobacco. I did that in high school and I was tobacco. I justified it to myself. I wasn't lying to Michelle because, uh, it wasn't that I wouldn't tell her if she asked, but I certainly wasn't making it public. And uh, But I, I remember when I was going through all that, trying to, to quit chewing tobacco, I, I would kept lying to myself. I would, I would talk my, just, just one more time, just today. You know what? I, tomorrow I'm going to completely stop. And one day God said to me, and this isn't the only time that he talked to me during this. He actually would often remind me that I'm free and I'm forgiven. I would just ignore him. Tell me tomorrow. And, uh, but at one time he said to me, he said, there's always going to be a tomorrow. I'll just quit. There's always going to be a tomorrow. That's the thing is tomorrow never comes. Because when tomorrow gets here, it's today. And there's still tomorrow. And I, I would I, I talked myself into this. I, I I deceived myself into doing stupid stuff. But the thing is, because of this deception, it says the wrath of God is going to come upon the sons of disobedience. If you walk away from God, if you're not born again, all these lies or or those who who haven't been born again, when you're trying to witness to people and they're like, no, I don't I don't want to be tied up by Christianity. I'm free now because they've been being deceived, and because of that, they're bringing wrath upon their life. But the scripture says we're not to become partners. Don't become partners with them, with the world. And if the scripture says, what Paul says, I didn't mean don't interact with the world. We have to interact with them if we want to witness to them. But don't be partakers with that. Because it's so easy to get carried away and no one to be to be carried away from all of that. And then we'll end here today.
says, John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free. I hope we went to the scripture today that you have a better understanding and, and I truly hope that God will reveal this to you in your heart that you are free. Because like I said, an intellectual knowledge isn't enough. That's the problem that you and I have, John. We sometimes think too intellectually and we don't let God speak. And I can say that because I have a head very much like yours. And we, I, I try to rationalize stuff. I try to to, to put it down on paper. And, and there's many things in Christianity, like I, I can lay out all the scriptures, but I just can't get a hold of it. Healing is an area that, that I struggle with as far as faith is concerned, I, if I'm being honest, because I can, I can put all the scriptures down, I can write it intellectually, I can make an argument for it, but there's some areas that I just haven't been able to, to grab hold of the faith, to have that revelation in my heart, to, to, have, like, to, to be able to stand and 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 see the dead raised. Intellectually, I understand that that's possible. I intellectually, understand that 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 a supernatural God can do whatever He wants. As a matter of fact, He's done it before. But it's hard for me to to. I constantly struggle between that that intellectual knowledge and but having a real revelation because the problem with an intellectual head is that you can intellectualize the other side too why it's not possible and people don't rise from the dead and people don't get cured from you can talk yourself out of all of that so i pray that you would have a revelation of this today not just head knowledge a revelation that you are free you're born again because the thing is as the scripture says if the sun sets you free you will be free indeed this isn't a hope this isn't a Man, this seems seems like a good idea, but maybe it's not for me. It's not a, a pretty good possibility. The odds aren't pretty good. This is a fact. If Christ sets you free, then you are free indeed. And there are other things that can happen in your life that can that can help you move through some of this stuff. Hypnosis. People get hypnotized to try to help stuff, and and that might help for a time, but it can fall back. Having a super strong will. Can help you get through some of these things. An intervention might. Some of these things are a permanent solution. You have to have Christ and understanding of what He's done to have a permanent solution to these things. Because the freedom of Christ is a sure thing, and it's the only way to be free. I want to remind you, church, you are free. You can live a life without sin. You can live a life without falling. Now I thank God that if we do fall, we have an advocate with the Father. But just because we have an advocate doesn't mean it's something we should use it to crush. We should live our life in a way that, we're, that, we, that we would be pleasing to God. We would live in holiness. Amen?